Hi there folks, my name's Emma. I am a sufferer of endometriosis. I am also a meditation teacher and a qualified life coach. My name's Candice McKenzie. I'm an Endo Warrior from West Lothian. I'm the creator and co-joint founder of Endo Warriors West Lothian with Claire Beatty. I'm Morris Howison. We have a company that manufactures equipment used in hospital theatres which treats endometriosis. With endometriosis, and I think it's important to say, if you think you have endometriosis, when you go to the doctors, you really do have to leave your dignity at the door. Because if you can go in and just be as honest with them as possible, then you will get a little bit further. It's a simple operation that's done for infertility all the time. And endometriosis should be exactly the same thing. But as soon as you say endometriosis, it becomes a huge deal that this is it. But it's actually very, very simple. You do get anxious because what if I go out and I have a flare? What if I eat something differently? So yeah, sometimes you can end up anxious because of the actual physical problem, but it is not a mental health problem. There was young girls, 13, 14, coming up and taking sanitary products and giggling and running away. And that's how it started. And that was fine because those girls came back. They came back once they got a wee bit more confident and they realised that these older women were not you know, it's a, a bit of a giggly thing Hi, when you're 13, 14, oh, yeah. Oh, you know, it? it's, it's a yeah. cup. Where does that go? You don't put your tea yeah. in it, pet, you know. So. Exactly. Morris is here today to speak to us about the diagnosis of endometriosis early in females. Yes, the most important thing for young women is to have endometriosis recognised and treated early by surgical means after a laparoscopic diagnostic intervention. They can be treated at that stage. It's most important that it's not allowed to get any worse and cause any problems for any other organs. Uh, at the moment, as Candice, you know, the route is for drugs and after many years actually to have a laparoscopic uh, examination which is generally too late. Yeah, the importance of early diagnosis of endometriosis is absolutely paramount for our community. Um, in order to get an early diagnosis would mean that you have to be able to identify that you have something wrong with you in the first place and that's one of the pitfalls for the majority of our community is understanding what is wrong with you and we lose a lot of time on average 7 to 10 years yes, um, going, going to the doctor and being told lots of different things about what could be wrong without actually ascertaining what is actually wrong by the time your gynaecologist actually gets their hands on you we both know don't we that the disease is so well spread by that point in time and early intervention, if you had been taken seriously, when you've went to the doctor, you know, I know for myself, I went so many times after my initial period and then, you know, by the time I got to 17, I really just thought that pain and passing out and, you know, losing two to three days was normal and that's really not normal for a teenager. And then obviously moving on into your 20s, you know, you're going to work, you're establishing your career, but you're still having to take time off and you're going back to the doctors and all the doctors want to do is really you know with the best will in the world they're prescribing you um, synthetic hormones in the form of the contraceptive pill all different things and whilst these may, might work for some people it's very much a band-aid over a bullet hole and I know for myself that being on these hormones for a prolonged period of time yes it might have helped in the first instance however the effect that that had on me personally and the effect that it had on my mental health by the time I got to my 20s and the fact that I had completely disconnected from my body I was having all these symptoms but told actually that's normal you know people have painful periods women have painful periods and there is nothing that is you know common or you, that you should be having where you're passing out I know certainly Candice your experience is the same as mine yeah, with these yeah. things yeah the issue and, and one of the reasons we're so keen to talk about this today is to try and stop it before it becomes deep-seated disease exactly and one of the big issues we're having is we're as you've just described we're, we're being prolonged into mm -hmm. a, a medicated state that the disease is getting more deep-seated because it is literally a suck it and see approach we don't generally know how these treatments mm -hmm. work we don't know the consequences of the treatments and nobody really seems to be making a vested interest into to looking after us and the care of us yeah. diligently to say, well, you know what? 
this female, this woman, this, this warrior has been on this treatment for X amount of years and she still has endometriosis. It's clinically proven because of X amount of laparoscopies mm -hmm. and still the condition is persistent. And it's all to do with the fact that that person hasn't been diagnosed quickly enough. It's absolutely detrimental to your hopes and dreams, isn't it? Exactly. I couldn't tell you um, how much having endometriosis has impacted on several jobs that I've had, my career. You do have to take a lot of days off and believe me, you don't want to. But then trying to explain that to bosses and what have you, you know, when you've got endo, you're taking all this time off and, you know, you are just met with, but it's just a period. It's just a period. And, you know, sometimes when you're going to the doctors as well, depending on what doctor you get, they will say to you, you know, well, periods are meant to be painful. But are periods meant to be painful to the point that you are passing out, doing a bowel movement, you know, going to the toilet, you know, even just coming out of a bath, going for a bath for a bit of relief. The minute you stand up and get out of the bath, the pain returns and you're, you're passing out. Mm -hmm. The big issue I think that we're all facing as a community is uh, the misconception of the word. It's endometriosis. Yes. It is not a bad period. <laughs> exactly. It causes a bad period. It causes mm -hmm. you a debilitating, painful period. Mm -hmm. But let's not confuse that exactly. with the medical condition that we're dealing with mm -hmm. here, which is a deep-seated disease that if it's not managed properly mm -hmm. or correctly, will cause you problems for the majority of your life. And I know there's people out there that say, oh, I had a hysterectomy. I've been transformed. And for those women, I absolutely salute you. Yeah, and I think that is amazing. But for some of us, for the majority of us, that is just not the case. The case is that we're left in a state of a non-gyny area where who actually looks after you once you've had that dramatic surgery? And again, it's all to do with the fact that you weren't diagnosed quickly enough. Exactly. You're talking decades and decades of, of, of being ill to, to, to get to this final stage where you've been castrated effectively. Exactly. And, and and there's nothing to identify you as a woman anymore. And again, you don't want to look after you, so... Exactly. Can I just go back to a point there, mm -hmm. Candice? Um, how long did it take for you personally to get diagnosed? I know that literally it was 2007 that I got diagnosed and that was after going to the doctor literally from the age of about 14, getting pammed off, getting put on to all different types of, as I say, birth control, what have you. What was your experience there? How long did it take to get your diagnosis? Yeah, it was hard going, to be honest. And it's, it's very interesting. My dad was actually the person that, that got my diagnosis for me. He ended up having to advocate for me. Mm -hmm. And I'm blessed that, that he did so. So much like everybody else, my issues actually started when I was about nine, but it didn't start mm -hmm. with periods. It started off with bowel problems. Yes. So I remember being in Bangor Hospital at the age of nine and having fingers popped up my rear end and being told oh you've got severe constipation nobody could understand why I had severe constipation at nine years old mm -hmm. but we took it and we ran with it you know and then my period started at 11 and mm -hmm. it wasn't a case of period number four being painful it was period number one as soon as I started my period my world and I quite I'm being quite honest here literally ended um and I remember by period four thinking how am I going to survive the rest of my life with periods like this? And even my poor mum said, you know, darling, periods do hurt. They do cramp. And yeah, yours look a little heavy, but that's part of being a woman. And I accepted that because that's what my mum has been told as well. You know, so I'd went to the doctor, much like you, Emma, and been told time and time again that either I had some type of form of anxiety or... Yes. The most insulting and upsetting thing for me, to be perfectly honest about the, the journey of my diagnosis, was when I got to stage when my bill had become so compounded and compact with the endometriosis that it was no longer functioning. It was dysfunctioning. Yeah. And it was causing me to vomit profusely. I couldn't eat. I couldn't physically eat food. The smell of food would make me sick. So the easiest box for the doctors to put me in at that point at the age of 16 was a eating disorder box which came with its own terrible upset. As I knew, I didn't have an eating disorder. Mm -hmm. I wasn't putting my fingers down my throat. I wasn't starving myself. I was famished and I couldn't physically eat for feeling or being sick. So again, little box, this girl's got an eating disorder. My dad said, no, she doesn't. He went with me to the majority of appointments because my mum worked full time and he got, could get time off easier, you know. So he really advocated for me. Long story short, I got to about the age of 19, 20, where, and I don't mean to be crude here, um, things started to turn a different colour when I was going to the toilet. I didn't think it was right. So I'd went to the doctor and I was 
very distended. The endo belly. Endo belly. The endo belly. Extremely distended mm -hmm. with plagued with urine infections as well, can I just add to Which is all too common and once again mm -hmm. ignored by so many people, so many doctors. Yep. Yeah. yep, absolutely. Finally, somebody decided to touch my tummy. Out of all those years, I don't know about yourself, did MD ever give you an examination? No. 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 Funny no, that. They can prescribe your box yeah, of pills, yep. but they can't. I think I had everything from colic to, you know, a backed up bowel like yourself. I mean, colic. Yeah. And that, funnily enough, I was suffering from that when I was in primary school. I would have, yeah, I would have, um, like yourself, what were UTIs, problems going to the toilet, then I had colic. And you'll know this is the most exasperating thing with endometriosis and the symptoms is sometimes these symptoms can be there in the morning and by the afternoon you're feeling a wee bit better. You know, they change can, your yeah, seconds. They, yeah, they can. Yeah. They can. And that's one of the hardest things for your people, yes. whether it be your loved ones or your yeah. friends or your colleagues, yep. to actually understand mm -hmm. is the fact that how could she be okay this morning yeah. and suddenly she needs to go home sick this afternoon? Yeah. Your day can change. It can change. In a and, nanosecond. Yeah. In the, well, literally in a trip to the toilet. Oh, yeah. Literally or in a trip. Or even eating a sandwich. Oh, it my could goodness. Be a small yeah. piece of food. <laughs> or even something daft like um, I, I, I bent over the other day to pick something up and I had tight skinny jeans on and the oh, compression yeah. of the tummy yeah. to, to the act to bend up it triggered yeah. me, triggered, yeah. triggered a flare, mm. you know. Yeah. I think our parallels are so similar in, in respect of the journey that us endo warriors end up going through. So yeah, I didn't get an internal examination until this one appointment um, with a doctor, Paris, who's sadly no longer with us. But he decided, just jump up in the bed, Candice. Let's just have a wee, a wee look mm -hmm. around. So he did. Without being crude, he did an internal examination with his fingers. Very mm -hmm. old school. And he was able to tell me in that appointment that my ovaries were not free-floating. I didn't right. even know that that was possible through an appointment. Yeah. But another thing you learn, you put it in your endo education book to advocate to others. You can do an internal. Yes. That internal is not is not pleasant. I'm not going to sit here and lie. It's not a nice internal, but it's a necessary one. And he was able to tell me then and there that my ovaries were not right. I think just going back to what you're saying there with endometriosis, and I think it's important to say for anyone listening, if you think you have endometriosis, when you go to the doctors, you really do have to leave your dignity at the door. Because if you can go in and just be as honest with them as possible, then you will get a little bit further. It can be embarrassing, but you know, you just have to get over that. That was one of the things I found. The GPs that I've talked to, um, it's quite incredible that you ask them how many people that they have on their list by having endometriosis and they'll say oh no we don't have very many with endometriosis and you say how many people are on your list with stomach pains and period pains oh we've got lots of them exactly and, and of course that leads on and that's the hurdle that we've got to get over because you're talking about internal examinations mm -hmm. and all that sort of thing the simplest thing is to put a laparoscopic camera in and have a look because you can tell because if it's endometriosis or there's a bowel problem or whatever else at that time you can actually uh, find out what it is and it's not statistically difficult to do that because if the young women are treated by the GP through GP education to go at that stage to the consultant gynecologist he's he is capable of doing something about it and he's quite happy and then you can move on from there to further down the track to you know, have an operation of endometriosis removed and that sort of thing and life continues and it may come back but you can get it done again but it's this key pipeline to get through in the initial stages and as I've, I've threatened to put on one of the Instagrams is if you've had two very bad bouts of stomach period pain and listened to the podcast you will know more than a GP because the GPs at that stage are giving you painkillers or pills or painful periods and it's at that stage that's the crucial stage. Yeah, totally agree with that. Yeah. And the thing is, you know, once you're putting um, people onto these painkillers for the pain, then we run into all sorts of problems there as well. You're giving, you know, potentially really young girls very strong painkillers and then where does that lead over time? I can tell you where it leads. Mm -hmm. It leads to you being on these painkillers for prolonged periods of your life and believe me, it's no fun no. as you as mm -hmm. you well know mm -hmm. as well. And they've also got the situation where they can remove them from you at any point as well. Yeah. You know, so they're acknowledging when you finally do get your diagnosis, they're acknowledging you do have this condition 
but that necessarily managing. They're not helping you manage it very exactly. well. Um, if your only options are, you know, the likes of Declopeptil, Zolodax, yes. or... Lucron, or any of yes, these. Yeah, yes. all your, you know, all your kind of hormonal-style drugs that, that suppress the ovaries and, uh -huh. and effectively the maturity gland, mm -hmm. which is so desperately sad because that's something else that I feel they don't acknowledge as well. It's a This is a gender-orientated thing for those mm -hmm. that are assigned female at birth as well, mm -hmm. that... We're, we're given a gender, we've effectively got a condition that thrives on the gender we've been given and we can only s solve it or manage it effectively by, as far as the doctors are concerned, by turning off your ovaries or putting you into a form of menopause and and oh, that right. can start as young as, as 19. Well, basically male hormones that you're getting to, to, cha to change from one to the other yeah. uh, to, to solve the problem about the, the interaction into the endometriosis mm. with trapped within the peritoneum and, and inside the tummy yeah. that's causing the problem. That's it. Yeah. It, it can't get out. It's stuck there. Yeah. And I mean, we all know from our own self-education and advocacy that it can move. It migrates. We've got lots of members, haven't we, Emma, in yeah. group that started off with endometriosis in their pelvis and they're now living it's, with it extra pelvically. Yeah. Um, and it's more common than we are we are told about. Mm. When when someone says, oh, I've got extra pelvic endometriosis, it's so common. There's so many girls, you know, who are presenting the symptoms of extra pelvic endometriosis. But when you go to your doctor, once again, about these things, you know, certainly for myself, and I know you suffer from the same, the breathlessness how you, oh, you're getting breathlessness around your period and that is a sign of it being in your mm -hmm. diaphragm but there's just not enough known about it. And that's why it's really important for going to the GP that mm -hmm. if you realise and you have the knowledge and you can actually map out where the pain is because it does move and it does spread, there's no doubt about that, but you can have, you know, it's painful uh, the sex organs, it's painful legs, it's diaphragms, it's bowel, as you say, all these sort of things. And if you can map out where these pains are, then that helps the doctor. It certainly helps the, the consultant gynaecologist it might direct a GP in a direction, but uh, it certainly helps the, the consultant when he's looking and he knows where to look, what's happening. That yeah, type of yeah. Because, I mean, we obviously we, we all understand as well that it can be a hit and miss for scans, which is another reason why it's so very important to to get the opportunity of, um, of surgery. Yeah. And I know that there's a lot of people out there saying, oh, we don't know whether surgery is the right option or not. As a woman that's had multiple surgeries... I couldn't possibly imagine living the life I had without the surgeries I've received. It might not give us long, but, but it, it gives, gives us you something. Relief it initially. gives us relief and mm -hmm. it's better than it was. The issue is the migration of it. Mm -hmm. And that's back to the fact that none of us have been treated correctly in, in, exactly. a, in, a, in a time frame that's acceptable, you know? Well, that's a, the same thing that after hysterectomy. The hysterectomy doesn't solve the problem because the damage has already been done to all the other organs that are within the peritoneum. So it stops it going any further, but you still got all the problems. Exactly. You know? so the other thing about the, the size of the operation and the surgery Everybody who goes through infertility treatment, the first thing just automatically, and it's done thousands of times, is that they die, uh, inject the fallopian tubes and put a laparoscopic camera, exactly the same thing, to look and make sure that the tubes are clear mm -hmm. and the dye actually comes through the blue dye and they can see it in the ovaries. And that's it. And that's a simple operation that's done for infertility all the time. And endometriosis should be exactly the same thing. But as soon as you say endometriosis, it becomes a huge deal that this is it, but it's actually very, very simple. And once it's recognised, then you can move on from there. Yeah, simple providing it doesn't become complex. Yeah, that's right. And that's one of the issues. We're all being left to become complex cases. That's right. You're jumping from stage one to stage two, and before you know it, you're suddenly at stage four. Right. And at stage four, there's nothing more they can really do for you. That's By right. the time I had my first laparoscopy, I was stage four, and I was excised down to stage three. Mm -hmm. Now, as I say, that was around 2007. Mm -hmm. Now, I had been going to the doctors since the late, well, mid-90s. Mm -hmm. So would it have been stage four by the time if there had been an early intervention? Definitely not. Exactly. Mm -hmm. And Morris, you said something very interesting there. If you can go to the doctors with information and what have you, I think it's really, really important that if there is anyone out there who thinks that they have endometriosis or perhaps a parent, um, a father, a, a mother then I think it's so important and it's definitely something that I say to everyone, 
write your symptoms down. I know it's it's not great to be sitting going, oh my goodness, I had this pain, I had that pain. But the more information that you can actually go to your doctor with and say, well, actually, I've been tracking this for three months and these are the symptoms, these are what is happening. And that's the timing as yeah, well as a exactly. physician. Yeah, you know, um, your ovulation and what have you. But then we ran into the problem where if you have been put on synthetic hormones, then you don't know when you're ovulating. You don't know you're having this bleed, but it's not a real period. So that's when it can come a little bit convoluted. But definitely, if there's one thing that definitely, I know Candice, you'll say as well, it is so important, ladies, persons who are assigned female at birth, please write down your symptoms, look for patterns, take three months at a time and then go on. It's three months and it'll give you a clear indication as to what's happening within you and your body. Yeah, brilliant. I, I can remember the, the first consultant kind of ecologist I spoke to about our equipment which basically treats stage one and two the initial stages and he he said at the time I don't want to become the local expert in endometriosis because I'm going to get all these horrendous cases that there's nothing I can do about I'm happy I want the beginning ones that are the ones that I can fix and I can get them in and do them and then I can be successful but there's other people that have these problems with people coming in that, that are unfixable and the they try to do it but there's not really much to do so it's, it's so key for the consultant as well as um, the, the patient to, to actually get something that they can do about it ultimate thing is if none of this is managed correctly and you're not looked after and you're left where your stage is getting greater and greater what they don't really tell you is you'll reach a stage where you will become classed as a chronic pain patient and that comes with its own taboos and issues as well mm -hmm. And nobody wants to really be classed as a chronic pain patient because what they're basically telling you as an endo woman or sign female at birth is that, yeah, okay, you're claiming you've got this endometriosis pain. We've done this scan. We can't find any evidence of it. So we suspect that what you're dealing with now is nerve damage from the nature of the disease, you know, and you think to yourself, okay, so you take that as gospel because you've not been to medical school. You don't know. But then you start to look at things, you start to realise that there's a test that they can actually do to understand whether you have nerve damage or not. And nobody's running this test on our girls. Nobody. They are slapping them on, gabapentin, gabapentin pregabalin, pre oh. you name the nerve drugs, and they are basically rattling out the door. And they're wondering why their pain's not any better as well. Exactly. And it's been absolutely, we know that gabapentin doesn't work for endometriosis. Mm -hmm. And we know that, again, the stage has been left too long that that woman's now classed as a chronic pain patient. And gabapentin as well. I mean, certainly, you know, I know it works for some people, but when I was on gabapentin, I felt an absolute shell of myself. You know, I felt like my body was here, but actually I was 10, 15 feet behind myself. It was just, it was, yeah, it's not a, a drug that I would want to be on long term. I think I lasted maybe about a week on it and then I had to go back to my doctor and say, this isn't working for me. Yeah. And I now know, having spoken to other girls, having listened to your experience, that the reason it wasn't working is probably because it wasn't suited to me. And just going back to something you said, Candice, about um, scans, I have a little bit of an issue with scans because, you know, not all scans, as you say, detect endometriosis. In 2016, I had a scan done and it said was nothing come back on it but I was to go in and get a laparoscopy done now when I went in to get the laparoscopy done I was in I came out and I remember thinking I've not been out for long what had actually happened was the scan hadn't picked up on a bit of endometriosis and what it actually turned out was I had a plum-sized mass fusing my womb and bowel together so, you know, I'd, I'd been for an ultrasound and it didn't pick that up. Mm -hmm. And it took for me to have a procedure done to be, you know, opened up, stitched back up and told, right, you'll need to come back. And then six months down the line, I then needed an operation that was almost six hours long mm -hmm. to remove this. Now, had I been given the initial scan in, in the, the time period, mm -hmm. you know, would it have been different? They said that they had done um, an internal ultrasound, which didn't pick it up, and I needed an MRI. So th there's a lot of things that um, an endo warrior can come up against where you think you're getting the right treatment and you're not. And as I say, these scans, and I know that you know scans mm -hmm. aren't always reliable either and it causes so much frustration in women mm -hmm. uh, people assigned uh, female at birth where you're just not being taken seriously yeah. you're just not being taken so it almost works out to be a form of gaslighting absolutely when you get that piece of paper comes through and says oh your mri um 
you know, came back okay, that's reassuring. You're looking for answers when you've had an MRI. And like you say, see the, see the heart sink moment that you get when you read that and you say, but, but how, how can my scan? Well, you see, the MRI scans and these sort of scans do not, are not good with soft tissue. Exactly. And all that Morris. bit round about there, everything's mm -hmm. soft tissue. It's all soft tissue, And the it? MRI does not work particularly well at that. Yeah. And there's nothing that's going to show up in that mm -hmm. type of thing. There's various things that they think they can do and try and do it but the only way really is to stick a camera in and have a look yeah, that's yeah, the, the easiest yeah. way and See, either so against that um, and concentrate on the drugs and I used to really think you know why is everybody going on about I want to get diagnosed diagnosed because diagnosed doesn't help you You're the, the condition is exactly the same but the diagnosis means that you go on the more expensive drugs you've got to be diagnosed to go on to all your GNRH analogs and yeah. all that kind of stuff and that moves into a different sphere Mm -hmm. And of course, the, the number of women, the one and a quarter million women in Britain who have got endometriosis, mm -hmm. all taking these expensive drugs one day, mm -hmm. you know, that's a, a huge market for that, that sort of thing. It's yeah. incredible. Big farmers rubbing their hands together here, um, in all honesty. They're, they're, making, they're making an absolute mint from from women with, with pelvic pain in they general. They are indeed. And I think as well, Big Pharma need to take a huge bit of responsibility here because, you know, when I was put on GNRH medication, 2007, I was put on Zolidex. I was quite simply told that this was a wonder drug that was going to switch off my ovaries. And then, you know, what would happen is I would come off the drug and everything would be back to normal. That was 2007. I can quite honestly say 2018 was when I finally got back to normal. And literally that was because I then came off GNRH medication and synthetic hormones. There's not enough information given to women when you're taking this medication. It's suppressing your hormones. It's taking, you know, your womanhood away. But let's just think about this for a second. You are stopping ovulation. What happens to your longevity of life? Every ovulation you have, you're banking into the bank. Long life is, you know, it protects you against things like Alzheimer's, all different things to name but a few. But we're not told any of this. We're just told, right, this is going to help you. This is a, such a short-term fix. Whereas, you know, going back to what you're saying, Morris, about the helica instrument, had I been not even diagnosed but sent away for the laparoscopy, would ablation in those early years made a difference to how I have progressed with my endometriosis, with how you've progressed, with how the other warriors in the group have progressed, with how so many other women or people assigned female at birth... Mm -hmm. You know, how, they, how they're progressing with their illness, to me, the thing just is just frustrating. Uh, you must remember that endometriosis, in, in the stage of when it starts, is a physical disease. Mm -hmm. It's not a drug-induced or any, you know, internal organ going wrong. It's purely mm -hmm. physical because there is... The ectopic cells, which are, are in the inside of the peritoneum, that's on the outside of the uterus, the womb, and they're trapped there. Now, normally through periods of stuff, it's issued, and that's how the body works to get rid of all that sort of stuff. But if you've got that ectopic cells in the peritoneum site, they're going to develop, get worse, and obviously over periods when the hormones kick them in and that sort of thing. And it's a case of getting that physically removed mm -hmm. is the answer, rather than trying to chemical and research chemical ways of trying to get this physical bit of stuff out. There's no database. We were talking about that in the yeah. car earlier. It's something that that I'm working on just now with, with Angela Constance and account of a recent bill that went through Scottish Government called the Patient Safety Bill. And something that's that's occurred to me over all the years is from all the drugs that I've taken since 1999, which is when I was diagnosed, I can't possibly sit here just now and say to you that any of them have worked. And you know what's really worrying is neither can my consultant gynaecologist. He, he can't either. Yeah, he can't sit here and say, you know what, Candice? God, that Zolodax did you proud, pet. That really got you through 2004. No, it didn't, eh? Because I've had 16 operations. Mm -hmm. I've been on your treatment since 1999. But you see, get back to the numbers. If you take it from this uh, one million, one and a quarter million women that have endometriosis, that means that every year, to keep the number up, there's got to be 55,000 women coming on with endometriosis, which is 4,600 a month of young women in the teens that are actually suffering at that point in time. Now, the thing is that there's 44,000 GPs in Britain. 
So this 4,600, yeah, they're only going to see a couple a year. So they've got to be aware to recognise that's what's happening. Or more importantly, the patient or the sufferer has got to raise the, the, the bar by saying, Look, I think I've got this and I want this, which mm -hmm. is not a huge problem or a huge cost or anything uh, to the NHS. And if the, it comes to the, the bit that the NHS and the state is in at the moment for the time, because time is, is crucial, is to go private. And you can have the same laparoscopy privately and in down in the, uh, the London areas and around about all these sort of areas and certain areas around about England and Scotland, they do do a lot of private. And that's the thing. And it was, I think I was telling you, Candice, about the story about these women who were in the Middle East and came back every two years and they automatically went in to get checked with a camera. Um, and that was on the company, it was an oil companies, obviously, mm -hmm. in the Middle East. Their husbands worked out there, they were out there, and every time they would come, well, every two years they would come back, and they would go in and they would get checked up and anything that happened that was wrong, any of these topic cells, they got them fixed, and that was it, and away they went. Just shows you. It does, it, it does, just, just shows you. It can be done, when, it can when, be done. When you've got the means, yeah. You can potentially that I was sitting thinking the other day if I won the lottery I would so get myself a private physician. Yeah. Before I bought a Mercedes, yeah. I would go and get myself a private phys what, physician. What would you do or if you won the you know? lottery? Yeah, private healthcare. Yeah, yes, <laughs> yeah. definitely. Up. Yeah. And we've actually got quite a lot of girls and women in group at the moment, haven't we, Emma? That have had to actually get money from their parents or remortgage yes. the houses in some instances, yes, so they can fund a private treatment. And it's because the NHS backlogs are so very, very bad. That's right. Well, I can That's speak right. from. Experience. I mean, I've been waiting now since. You, well, you know, you know, you've heard the breakdowns yep. and everything. I've been waiting now. I got put onto the waiting list just as COVID hit. They yeah. stopped all operations mm -hmm. at that period of time. Mm -hmm. That was the problem. That's where the backlogs come from yeah. and all that sort of thing. And the other thing on the private side, the private's doing quite a lot of operations for the NHS. Yes. You know, yeah. so that's blocking up. So even people that have got private medical insurance, they've got still got to wait now, and the whole thing's getting getting bogged down. The domino effect, isn't it? the whole thing but uh, they in, in the case of private or whatever it's in and out of the day I mean it's not as if it's a a, a huge you know in for three days with hips and knees and all that kind of stuff it, it's just an in and a looking out and get done at the same time mm -hmm. so it is possible to do this 4,600 or a percentage off them because you're never going to get everybody obviously knowing about it but it is the, the, the patient has got to have the knowledge so that they know what direction they're going when they go to the GP definitely knowledge is key knowing, knowing that that's available to you mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. That's right. Yeah. We're at the moment working really hard to get endo education in West Lothian schools. Mm -hmm. um, and one of the, the schools that are, are really interested happens to be St Kentigan's and the follow-on schools, Broxburn Academy. Ah, right. Okay, and that's interesting. our aim is to get the young people, and the teachers are going to do this, there's going to be a lesson plan created so that young people men included, because mm -hmm. we need them to be good partners ultimately, yeah. you know, are going to learn a little bit about endometriosis so that they can first of all understand what is the difference between a heavy period, a period, yeah. and endometriosis, yes. you know. Pain, pain. Exactly. And yeah. and, and that's, that's what the schools are going to concentrate on. So if we can try and get the young people to first of all ascertain that there is something not quite right, because probably much like you, I was looking to my friends as a younger teen. And oh, nobody was like no, me. No, nobody was like me. Everybody just sailed through it. Yeah. Everybody Again, just sailed through it. Again, back through the numbers, you yeah. see, if you look at this uh, one and a quarter million, that's 10%. So if you have a classroom full of girls, 10% mm -hmm. of them are liable mm -hmm. or possible endometriosis. Well, they say it's one in 10 suffering. women. Yeah. yeah. Or yep. persons that are like starting off. Yeah. Started off in the, I, in the cycle. I yeah. think it's changed a little bit. I don't I do. think the numbers are, are catching up with where we should mm -hmm. be. But yeah, it's... Um, they, they say, what, 1.5 million women and, and 1 in 10, but I think it's closer <laughs> to 7, 7 mm -hmm. in 10 personally, but it's not for us yeah, to dictate uh -huh. numbers. But, uh, roughly, but mm -hmm. uh, as you say, and if the, the, the school kids can recognise and sympathise with the one girl that has got the problem, then they know what it is and, you know, they, they can recognise the, 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 whole, the, whole, the system, really. Yeah, and that's, that's really important because we've got girls as well that have been sitting at exams yes. on morphine. Mm. actually on morphine and what where, where does that lead for these girls you know if you are sitting your exams and you're on morphine if you're that age where does that then go into life you know if you're on morphine at 16 17 18 
that that's terrifying for me. Yeah. Terrifying. Yeah, it is. And then you wonder what's the outlook for that person, that young person moving forward if if they've not managed that hurdle in, in, in the exam room, you know. And the effect they have on the fertility, yes. because it's a big thing on the fertility side as well. Yeah. Uh, so that from that point of view, they've got to look after it and try and get it uh, treated early. Oh, the fertility is really important. Um, mm -hmm. I mean, I know you you asked me, and I never fully answered you earlier, but when I eventually got diagnosed, which was 1999, mm -hmm. I'd already lost one of my ovaries. So I'd, I'd already been told at the age of 21, your one ovary doesn't work. The eggs are not jumping. They just can't jump. Mm -hmm. And I do think if you'd have taken me seriously when I was 12 or 13, while that ovary was becoming compounded in disgusting cells, could you have done something to help me? Because it's hard enough trying to get pregnant when you've got, you know, fertility issues, but to actually only have one working ovary is particularly hard. And there's nobody to support you with that. That was my next question, Candice. See, when you did get that ovary removed, at such a young age, what kind of like healthcare, well not healthcare, but what kind of aftercare is there for your mental well-being? Because let's face it, losing an ovary is a big deal. Mm -hmm. Having endometriosis, being diagnosed with endometriosis is a big deal. I mean, what aftercare did you get given after that? What did they say to you? Did anybody say, you know, how are you feeling? Do you know what to expect now that you've only got one ovary? When I was diagnosed with endo, I got a bit A4 paper rolled up. I didn't realise the magnitude of what I had been diagnosed with. And if it wasn't for, once again, my mum, mm -hmm. then I wouldn't have known what I was dealing with. I will say I am in an exceptionally lucky position. I have had the same doctor since I was a little girl and she has been absolutely amazing. So I can't say any different. If I deviate from her, mm -hmm. you know, no disrespect to my other doctors, they maybe just don't have the experience, but I've been lucky there. But there's so many girls that, you know, they're they're having radical, radical operations because of endometriosis. But where is the aftercare for their mental well-being? Where is that? Because unless you're joining, obviously, support groups like ourselves, Endo Warriors West Lothian and the various other support groups that are out there, then you feel so disconnected and so lonely and so alone. Because as you say, how many of your friends had endo? It's so different now. You know, we have got a community. Mm -hmm. But back in the day, it was just, you know... Oh, you, you, you wasn't you, spoken about. No, yeah. no. No. And it's social media that's brought us together, to exactly, be fair. Exactly. I mean, I remember when I first got, I heard the word, I didn't even endo... Endo what? Yeah. My dad still can't say it yeah. properly. Endo meat <laughs> wheels. And I'm like, <laughs> okay. So, and, and I first heard the word and I thought okay, how can I find out about this word? Mm -hmm. So I remember going to my library, local library, and I spoke to her and she says, oh, we didn't think, have Google back in those you days. Know, <laughs> you know, go and check the index box mm -hmm. and, and you might be able to find something on it. And sure enough, I did find a wee book. But it spoke a lot about women being in the prime of their life, 46 and 47. And I'm sitting reading this to myself and saying, I'm only 21. It's my teens. I'm, I'm, just, I'm still a young yeah. chick. How's this just a 45-year-old woman's condition? And it, it's not. But the perception back then was that it was. And that was one of the other issues that was so difficult in trying to get a diagnosis was the fact that well, you're too young to have endometriosis. Yeah. Exactly. You know, yeah. well, I'm not too young to have a period, sweetie. So yeah. exactly. I'm not too young to have a, you know, a, a condition that is related to menstrual cycle in some way, you know, so... It's very frustrating. And the other thing is, you talk about social media, mm. which is in people that are actually actively involved in endometriosis, but the actual media, the, the television, newspapers and magazines, all that sort of stuff, I mean, they just continually, for endometriosis week or month, or so, plow out the stories about women and how they've had all the hardship and all the sort of stuff and had to take a credit card out and do this and all, just as we were talking about, you mortgage your house and everything else. But there's nothing ever about actually actually stopping it and curing it and still getting it at the beginning. Yeah, exactly. And everything else, I mean, it doesn't matter whether you've got a heart valve or cancer or whatever, everything else is get it treated early. As soon as you see the first signs in your bowel, anything like that, it's treat early, treat early, treat early for everything else except endometriosis. Exactly, Morris. So why is it left to flourish in females? That then that then brings out the side of me, is it a gender bias? You know, there is, is a it gender yeah. bias going on? You know, if we're actually hysterical, yeah, we still are. Yeah, totally, totally. I mean, don't want to get too historic, but I mean, mm. back back in the eighteen hundreds and that, we were getting electric shock therapy because they were convinced we were either demonised or were some type of witch. Yeah, yeah. you know, and yeah. you change the clothing, you move the decades, mm. but we still leave that doctor's office, and mm -hmm. I don't care what MD says, but I know that I've got notes that said. 
oh, she was a little tricky today or this one's a little fiery. Or, yep. And you think, how dare you? How dare you prejudge or judge me on my on my appointment that mm -hmm. day when I've got no way to judge you or your clinical experience mm -hmm. for actually looking after me as a woman with endometriosis. Exactly. And sometimes, you know, like speaking from experience, see sometimes by the time you get to the doctor, you're pinning your hope on them, giving you some sort of you know, help, whatever. And their word is law. Exactly, exactly, exactly. Down in your file, that's it. Yeah, that's it. and then, you know, how many times have you come away, Candice, being like, well, what am I meant to do now? Like, you've come out with more questions than anything else. You haven't got the answers. You've got more questions. And sometimes, you know, feeling like, I don't think that doctor believes me. Yeah. Mm -hmm. I don't think that doctor believes me. And that's a horrible impact on your mental mm. health and and for those around you as well because yeah. I've been in a position where my, I know my husband stood and went, well, she doesn't go to medical school. He does go to medical school. I'm more going, I'm going to go with the doctor's opinion on my yeah. life here. Yeah. And that that can damage marriages because yeah. Yeah. that then makes you feel that you don't have the support of your loved one yeah. by your side. Oh because suddenly this has now turned into a mental health condition. <laughs> How can something yes. that's gynecological... Or physical. Physical, mm -hmm. yes. Yeah. Physical, yeah. extra pelvic. How can uh -huh. that suddenly turn into a manifestation of the brain, some type yeah. of mental health issue? Anxiety, generalised anxiety disorder, all these different things. How? But because then, of the gaslighting. You, yeah, but then, you know, with endo... You do get anxious because what if I go out and I have a flare? What if I eat something differently? So, yeah, sometimes you can end up anxious because of the actual physical problem, but it is not a mental health problem. No, no, it's not. Down uh, this place off London, and there's a very good team that look after the endometriosis, as we are talking about, the ideal way to do it. And it's actually worked through families because they've got the doctor that knows, the consultant, I may say, not the GP, the consultant that knows what's happening. And then they know that the daughter from the mother is going to have the same condition. So they know what it is through knowledge and they go in automatically. And families that I know have, you know, the, the original wife has had it. The daughters have had it now. The grandchildren are coming up, and they're old enough, and it goes through the family like that. But this family don't have a problem because they've all had kids and normal lives and all that sort of thing because they've been treated as they go along. Yeah. And uh, that particular woman does have patients that are groups of patients within the same family. Yeah, and it's amazing sometimes in the media. I've written to some women who have, you know, I have endometriosis, actress or personalities or whatever, and you you can say to them, your daughter is likely going to get it you know so you really got to be pay attention to what's going on nothing back not yeah, interested yeah. and that's really bad that's, is, that's that quite is, sad that to hear really isn't sad. it yeah. there is a genetic involvement yeah. and they need mm -hmm. to they need to acknowledge that I've read a lot of things in the press recently about endometriosis can also be caused by trauma you know childhood trauma whether it be a sexual nature or sexual deviance in some way and mm -hmm. And for those women that have got endometriosis like that, that I, I, I empathise greatly, yeah. I really do. But in respect of genetic forms, exactly as you've just pointed mm. out there, if we have got a link, yes. and you know there's a link, then why aren't you joining the dots? Exactly. Morris mm -hmm. and Candice, it's been fantastic speaking to you all about the different things. But Candice, there was something really important that you said there, and I feel that we should go back to that. You said that you were going to be going into schools. Can you just give us a bit more information about that? Because obviously there's going to be parents and um, there's going to be mums, dads, perhaps even a worried brother or sister. What is it you're going to be doing in schools? And where do you think we should go from here? You know, to the listeners, where should they go? If they think there's somebody, actually, wait a minute, you know, somebody's had a couple of periods, this is all sounding a bit familiar. Can you just give us a wee bit more information on what you're doing in the schools and where where people can go. Yeah, of course. So we started writing to West Lothian Council very early on into our creation and the main aim was to get West Lothian Council to acknowledge that menstrual wellbeing had to be brought into the curriculum for excellence. Yeah, that was a just I would of agree it. with that. That was a very, very hard task and it wasn't dealt with quickly. It took us several years to get the council to actually understand that there was a need for education in that area. 
we had a fantastic opportunity to go to the brand new Winchborough Academy just a few months ago. And they've got a new wellbeing centre, haven't they? Yeah, so fantastic. West Lothian Council ran the very first initiative for West Lothian, which was to do a health and wellbeing event at this new academy. Right. So End of Warriors West Lothian had the opportunity to go along with an abundance of sanitary products. We wrote to Hey Girls and Flow and we got an abundance of products. We set a stand up and we were just basically open for conversation. So there was young girls, 13, 14, coming up and taking sanitary products and giggling and running away. And that's how it started. Yeah. And that was fine because those girls came back. Yeah. They came back once they got a wee bit more confident and they realised that these older women were not you know. Yeah. It's a, a bit of a giggly thing ah, when you're 13, 14. Oh, yeah. Oh, you, you know, get it? It's, it's a yeah. cup. Well, where does that go? You don't put your tea yeah. in it, pet. You know, so exactly. There was, there was, there and was there has some... to be humour around these yes. things as well, Candy. Yes. It's really important. There does have mm-hmm. to be some humour. So we had to stand set up and not only were the students of, of Winchborough Academy coming up, but so were the teachers from all the other schools in West Lothian. Meant some of them with partners mm-hmm. um, that happened to have endometriosis or suspected endometriosis, and some of them actually with endometriosis. Some of them are even just sharing the fact that they've they've been on this long haul and that they've finally got to a stage where it's manageable. So that gave us a great opportunity into the education facility. While we did a presentation that day, we had the council heads and executives with us, right. and we ran through an end-to-individual uh, presentation. It was run by myself and Dion McFarlane, our group leader. And um, they were completely receptive, so receptive that the head of Broxburn Academy said, I want you to come into my school. I want you to come into my school, and I want us to try and get this sorted out. I cannot have my kids going through exactly what you've just said there. And I said, well, what will we do? So I'm actually going to meet with one of the teachers and we're going to formulate a lesson plan on how to teach kids about endometriosis in a friendly, you know, non-scary way, Mm -hmm. but enough to make them say, this is not normal. And that's our aim as a group is to get kids to understand what's normal versus what isn't normal. Get them to record their symptoms down. Excellent. Speak to their friends, speak to their parents if they can. We appreciate there's some cultural issues. Not every kid can sit yeah. down at the dinner table and talk about their menstrual well-being. Will you be sending anything home to the parents here? That, is that... would be the aim. Okay. Yes, the aim okay. would be that something either electronically or in the school uh-huh. bag will go out to the parents. I would love it if we could possibly grow in this and have a, a type of well-being evening for parents to come and drop in Fantastic. where they can say, you know, my child's displayed symptoms, and not necessarily endometriosis. There's lots of gynae issues out there, PCOS. And Is there a place that the parents can go? Obviously, you're going out to the schools. Is there somewhere that parents can go to get more information on endometriosis? Is there something that we can do to put out to parents? Is that something that you're looking at? We've got doing? a website, the Helica Support website. Fantastic, And Morris. that's aimed at patients to give the, the story that we've been talking about and getting it early and what to do and, you know, take record everything else. Helica endo support. Yeah, so early intervention is, is, right. is key. That's basically what That's we're it. preaching here. Learn your body, understand your body and try try and pay attention when you're in sex edge if you can. It's really important you know what your uterus is. It's really important that you know where it is. It's really important that you know where your ovaries are situated. We've got lots of young people that, that come to us, don't yeah. they, Emma? And yeah. they think their ovaries are somewhere where they're not. You yes. Know? And yes. A lot of the time is understanding how your body functions and functionality of it to understand Basic your Basic anatomy Including for the areas. Yeah, for yeah. yeah. So, yeah. And, and describe to a doctor, don't be scared to say, you know, I've got a stab feeling up my bottom. Yeah. I've got a, a stabby feeling up my front. You know, yeah. use words to describe your pain. Don't be shy to do that. That's the best way to get your feeling over is to describe it. And I think it's important to put it out there for any, you know, sort of teenagers and what have you that may be listening your doctor's heard it all. Your doctor's seen it all. So try not to be embarrassed. Once again, going back to leaving your dignity at the door. And the main hurdle is to get your doctor to get you up to the hospital for a exactly. diagnostic laparoscopic examination. And the the treatment after the fine endometriosis can be done in any hospital because they all have equipment that would can do that. And then uh, they can move on from there. But all the hospitals have got the, the stacks for doing all the camera work and all that type of thing because as I say they do it for fertility all the time it's exactly the same and they have got diathermy or the helica or other 
excise excising the, mm. the the lesions they can do all that sort of thing it's uh, not a specific every hospital's got the facilities they just have to get there yeah. can i ask one question just in respect of the helica instrument Morris? so if um perhaps someone was going to um their their doctors and they said you know i want to go for a laparoscopy can they actually say to their doctor about the helica instrument that you know that could be a form of treatment or they can uh, the best way to look at the website and they can see all the hospitals that have got the helica. Fantastic. Um, and they can pick and choose and nowadays you're supposed to, now you can't get in the NHS, mm-hmm. but you're supposed to be able to go to whatever hospital you want to go to right. and there's one locally everywhere, you know, within, within region, within the country. But traditionally, in uh, in the hospitals, it was always the young, the first last doctor, the youngest one, uh, the college, that would get the endometriosis because all the old ones knew that it was trouble. And, you know, they would have all the women coming in and they couldn't do anything about it. So they always lumped it onto the one that was in uh, last and they, they got to do it and they had to be good at it or not good at it. So there was a lot of variation at the time. Now, it's a lot better now mm-hmm. and there's a lot better better techniques, but it's still this hurdle to get over to get the pipeline up into the hospital to get it treated. Yeah, mm-hmm. it's a referral process really, yeah. isn't it? And the, yeah. the, the consultants don't want the, the cases that have been left not treated for for years and years and years and years and years. And nice guidelines are changing as well so that you're going, the the surgery route is becoming much quicker because it was seven, eight years it used to be. Now it's three months on drugs and as soon as, which they're taken up just by the waiting list. There's Mm -hmm. there's no problems with that. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And, you know, as they say, the the drugs as well, because after women have had endometriosis for eight years, there's no alternative but drugs. So you've just got to go with what what you got. Yeah, it's, it's still a suck and see approach really isn't it I would just like to thank yourself Morris and yourself Candice for coming along and doing the podcast today Um, obviously we just want to say to people you know if you are experiencing symptoms quick intervention get in there get your symptoms written down make sure you know what you're dealing with go to your doctor as early as possible is key Candice I know obviously I know where to find you but can you give me the name of the support group where we can find you so if there is people out there who are struggling and feeling absolutely alone desperate or if it's a supportive partner parent brother sister whatever you identify as where can we find yourself? Yeah, if you were to Google Endo Warriors West Lothian, it come, should come up with our Facebook and Twitter. It will come up with that. We run a private members hub on Facebook. We're just shy of 700 members as of today. 699 members we've got. Excellent. They're all local to us mm-hmm. and they're a great group of courageous warriors. And yeah, there's nothing, no holds barred on our group. As you know, you're a, no. you're a, <laughs> a very valued admin and friend and you could post anything and there will be somebody to give you compassion and yeah. to, to make you feel valued, you know. And that's really important on this journey is to feel that you're not alone, Mm -hmm. to not feel isolated. And it's really important that we share with each other because by sharing information with each other other, arms us with the Mm -hmm. correct knowledge and, you know, to be able to advocate for our own health. We all need to advocate for our own health. So it's absolutely paramount that, Mm -hmm. like you said, Emma, jot it down, don't be scared and stand your ground. And that thing that you think embarrassing is embarrassing. It really isn't. Honestly, we've heard it all before. We've heard it so many times. Morris, just going over to yourself now, where is it that we can find you? The website, which is Helica Endo Support. Fantastic. And Helica has got a normal website, Mm -hmm. but the one for the support website with all the patient information on it and the positions for the hospitals, that's there. Excellent. So it's a kind of one-stop shop that people can go in, find out about Helica through yourself, who you are, and then obviously it's got the information. information, Fantastic. So it's a one-stop shop. Grand. Thank you very much for your time, guys. Thank you. Thank you.